Welcome to our Christmas family service. This week, Stephen Sessink is continuing our series, The Characters of Christmas. He'll be speaking about how Herod and the Magi have different reactions to the claim of Jesus' identity and mission. If you're new here, we'd love to get you connected with our community. You can message us on Facebook, Instagram, or by simply texting hello to 587-323-1199 and we'll respond right back. We're so glad you could join us today. Merry Christmas. Can you imagine when the angel came to Mary saying that the Virgin would give birth to the Son of God? Can you picture when the Magi saw a star unlikely believers who were compelled to follow the star to meet the Saviour King. Can you remember a group of poor shepherd boys startled awake by an army of angels joined in a chorus to announce the birth of the Son of David? Can you believe that his plan all along was to save the world through his Son? Can you see, God is not done yet. The miracle of Christmas continues all around us. Well, good morning. My name is Stephen Sessink. I am Pastor Bev's youngest son, and hopefully best-looking son in my opinion. Uh, but we are so glad you joined us this morning at Calvary. Uh, we want to welcome all of you who have come in person, all of those who have come online, especially if it's your first time here at Calvary. We want to let you know that you are welcome here. It's always a blessing for me to come home and to speak at Calvary. It's the church that has been the most formative in my faith journey. And for those of you wondering where I've been for the last six months, I've been uh, working up in Grand Prairie just doing land development and construction. Uh, so this morning, we're going to be looking at the gospel of Matthew, chapter 2, verses 1 to 18. We're going to be continuing the series, The Characters of Christmas, The Unlikely But Remarkable People God Uses. So if you have a Bible or a phone, I invite you to turn there now uh, before we read the scriptures. This morning, the sermon is titled, Jesus' Kingship Demands Response. This morning, if the gospel accounts are true, if scripture is trustworthy, then there is no middle grounds that the claim that Jesus makes that he is king King of Israel, King of the universe, and King of the cosmos. This title of kingship must be responded to by us. And I would assert this morning that Jesus' kingship, his reign is total and universal, and it demands all worship and allegiance. His kingship demands total worship and allegiance. The choice is ours to make. There is no middle ground. If scripture is true, and I believe with every fiber of my being that we can trust the scriptures, then we have to respond to this proclamation that Jesus is king. If he is the king of the world, it changes everything. And I want to say this morning that I'm, I'm making very strong claims based on the truthfulness of scripture. And if you're someone who's ever struggled, who's had questions, I invite you to come talk to me. And I want to say to you that Jesus loves it when we think, when we question, when we struggle with Scripture, because that means we're taking it seriously. We're called to worship God with our mind, with our whole being. As we read the Scriptures, we ought to think, Lord, reveal yourself to me. I invite you to the place 
of our forefathers that went before us, the place of David when he cries out among the Psalms, to Job when he wonders about God's justice, his righteousness, to Jacob who struggled with the angel of the Lord, and even the name Israel means to struggle with God. We come from this root. If we are willing to struggle with God, and in that struggle willing to submit and to surrender, he will meet us. And if you have questions, I want to encourage you. You are in good company with the Apostle Peter, who writes about Paul's letters in the New Testament, 2 Peter 3, 15b to 16a. So also our beloved Paul wrote to you according to the wisdom given him. Speaking of this as he does, there are some things in them hard to understand. Even apostles sometimes struggle. And so I want to encourage you as we go into the text, I want you to wrestle. I want you to wrestle with God and seek him as I speak. So let's pray before we open up the scriptures. Father, I thank you that you are good. And I thank you that you alone reign in heaven. I thank you for your goodness and your kindness. Lord, as you open up your word, would you speak to us by the power of your spirit. May we encounter the Logos, your son, in your name. Amen. So the scripture this morning is Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 18. I'll just give you one second there before we start. The gospel of Matthew Chapter 2, verses 1 to 18. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men came from the east of Jerusalem, asking, Where is the child who is being born the king of the Jews? For we observed his star rising, and we have come to pay him homage. The word homage there can also means worship. So when King Herod heard this, he was frightened, and all of Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for it has been written by the prophet, and you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men, and he learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go! And search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring him to me so that I may also go and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then opening their treasure chests, They offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream to not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. Now, after they had left, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And Joseph got up took the child and his mother by night and went to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Out of Egypt, I've called my son. When Herod saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he was infuriated and he sent and he killed all the children around Bethlehem who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had learned from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, wailing, and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be consoled because they are no more. 
This morning, I believe scripture is demonstrating to us that Jesus' kingship demands total worship and allegiance. It's easy to follow God in times of comfort, but in times of difficulty, to worship him can be much more difficult. I remember the time of darkness that I walked through the last couple of years. Some of you are aware that I went through a divorce, and through that dark, deep, lonely valley where I felt the sting of loss and rejection, and I felt as though I was walking through the valley of death, I felt brokenness. There was a year where I struggled with God. I remember God saying to me, Stephen, I've called you to preach. And I'm just like, God, you are insane. How can you call me to do something? I am a total failure. My life is in shambles, Lord. I've tried to follow you, God, but things haven't worked out. I have nothing. I have nothing to say of value, Father. What's the point? But still, because he is the king of kings, he's called me to preach, and I couldn't get that voice out of my head. I have called you. He is Lord, and we must worship him with everything we have, regardless of circumstance, because he is king, and he reigns alone. Will we worship him in the midst of our valley, in the midst of our pain, in our discomfort? And I know this morning, as a church, you are walking through darkness, through a deep valley, we struggle with current events. We also struggle with the valley that the Zerbans are going through, Pastor OJ. And while we hope, we still struggle. We still wrestle with this circumstance. We have questions, Lord. We don't understand why, Lord, are you allowing this to happen? And I don't have an answer this morning, but I do want to say God is still sovereign and he is still king and he stands alone. We do not understand how or why, but we must put our trust in him. We are called to worship God in the place of the valley, in the place of darkness, to follow his kingship wherever we go. His kingship demands our whole being, our whole life. I want to encourage you, Calvary, keep your eyes fixated on Christ. Jesus' kingship demands total worship and allegiance. The first point this morning is that Jesus' kingship challenges our power our influence, our control. Matthew 2, 1 to 4. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men came from the east to Jerusalem, asking, where is the child who has been born the king of the Jews? For you have reserved to start its rising and have come to pay him homage. When Herod heard this, he was frightened and all Jerusalem with him and calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. In the beginning of this passage, we were met with this proclamation from the Magi about a king being born. And we see the impact that this statement has. For we see that Herod is terrified of this proclamation. It says in verse 3, when King Herod heard this, he was frightened and all of Jerusalem with him. He knew that Jesus' kingship challenged his power, his control. For who is king of the, t- the Jews at the time of Jesus' birth? Scripture tells us Herod was the king of the Jews. Herod had a direct claim over Israel from the power of Rome. The counterclaim by the Magi that a new king of the Jews had been born directly threatened his rule. Herod realized that he will no longer have control over Israel, over the seat of David, that he will no longer be king. Herod recognizes the weight of kingship. He recognizes what it means for a king of the Jews to be born, and he is terrified and rightly so. And we see him scheming and strategizing how to destroy this king, even though he completely misunderstood the kingship of Jesus, and that it was much greater than he could even imagine. 
See, King Herod was a man obsessed by power. Like many human rulers before him, he held on to power. He sought to unify Israel under his grip. He wanted to see seen by Israel as a legitimate king. See, Herod had a problem. He was an imposter. He was not Jewish. He was given the kingship to Israel by the power of Rome. In other words, he was illegitimate. He was false. He was an imposter. He was not the true king of Israel. He was someone who was not meant to be the king. But instead, he ruled by force and by the backing of Roman power. And Herod, he knew this, and so he sought to legitimize his claim over the throne of Israel. He married into the Hasmonean line of Jews, which was a line of Jews that had ruled Israel shortly before. And Herod, he built Jerusalem. He poured money into the city. He rebuilt the temple, something that a king of Israel would do like Solomon. By building the temple, rebuilding Jerusalem, marrying into a family line, he sought to consolidate his power, to tighten his grip on Israel. This Magi's pronouncement that a new king had been born sought to undo everything he had accomplished. Jesus' announcement of being king by the Magi challenged Herod's power and control. I want to say that Jesus' kingship challenges our power. Jesus' kingship challenged Herod's power, and Herod recognized the threat and the totality of what kingship could mean, even though he misunderstood it. Do we recognize what Jesus' kingship means to us at this moment? Every position, every power, every influence we hold belongs to Jesus Christ and Jesus alone. It is all his. Every ounce of authority, every ounce that we exercise is his. Whether we exercise it with our friends in an organization and our family, we are only stewards of the power and control and influence we have been given. It is not ours. It is his. And we are called to be wise stewards of it. To remember his kingdom will not go forth by our power, but by the power of the Spirit and us surrendering our lives in submission to his kingship. I think there are two things at play when we hold on to power and control. I think one often is we sometimes have a desire for control. We desire to be recognized by others, for people to see us how we want them to see us. And sometimes we like control is because we fear. We try to hold on to control because we fear change. We fear the future. We fear what's going around us. Fear is a powerful force that can make us hold on to control and power. And I think for Herod, both of these came into play. He had a lust for power. He was ruthless near the end of his reign, and he feared the future. And this is the result when Herod held on to power and was fearful. Matthew two sixteen to 18. When Herod saw that he'd been tricked by the wise men, he was infuriated, and he sent and he killed all the children in and around Bethlehem, who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had learned from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, wailing and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be consoled because they are no more. When we hold on to power or influence for whatever reason and we're unwilling to let it go, we do untold damage. Herod, scared of the claim of kingship, decided that he would do whatever he could to hold on to his rule, to hold on to his power. So what does he do? He executes all the children two years and younger. When we begin to hold on to power that is rightly Jesus, we invite death into our circumstance. We invite ruin. And why do I say this? 
When we hold on to power, we say, I have this right to power. This is mine. When in reality, it is the Lord's. When we hold on to power, we reject the one who is king. Because we're claiming that we're the legitimate rulers. And when we reject Jesus, the one from whom all life flows, we invite death. Whether because of our fear or our lust for power. When we reject Jesus' kingship, it is a deathly thing. Because we're rejecting the author of life. When we submit to his kingship, we invite the author of life. Jesus is calling us to be a people who do not hold on to control or power, but rather be people of his life and his love. His kingship. When I was going through my divorce, I remember I prayed and fasted for five days. Lord, can you save my marriage? Can you do something, Father? I'm crying out and trying to do all that I can. I remember the Lord said to me, if you love her, you must be willing to let her go. I choose to love and I allow people to go if they want. See, I wanted some measure of control. I wanted to try and save things, but this is not how the love of our king works. I was seeking power to save things, and I would suggest in the moment of weakness, as when we feel powerless, is when we are most dangerous. Because this is when the temptation for power and control is most present. When we try to hold on, or we lapse into hopelessness, instead of choosing the middle path of following Christ and trusting in him. We must be people of love, not seeking control, but rather our king who holds all things. And this morning, I felt led to say, I want to say to you, do not fear the devourer. Fear may be sitting at your doorstep, but I want to say that Christ is still on the throne. We may not understand what is happening, what is in society, what is happening with us, but now is not the time for fear. Now is the time to embrace the kingship and the lordship of Jesus. We do not know what will happen, but I want to encourage you to press into the Lord, to be like Daniel, to be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and say that we will not bow down. We will not give in. We do not know what will happen, but we will put our trust in the Lord. We will be people of the cross, for our hope is not in this present affliction, but in the resurrection of Christ, which is a foretaste of the resurrection to come of all believers and the age to come of our Lord Jesus Christ. If we embrace the love of Christ and trust him, it will smother fear. And I believe this is something we are called to do. As we have all seen divisive rhetoric, ultimatums, divisive statements made, we have seen fear rampant in society. And this will only lead to us trying to hold on to power and control. And when we do this, we risk inviting death into our midst if we go the path of fear. For we risk rejecting Jesus when we act out of fear because we are rejecting his sovereignty, his kingship. We are saying our trust is not in you, Father, but rather in how we can maybe change things. We ought to be people who put our full weight on him. To be people of love rather than control and power, we must not make room for fear, but rather let's make room for the king. This morning, the only thing you are to fear is the Lord. And I would suggest the fear of the Lord here in the Hebrew context is a sense of deep reverence and awe. It's not a fear that is based in what will God do, for we know that God is rich in love and slow to anger. Our King Jesus did not hold on to power, but he submitted himself to the Father and became a man and suffered a death on the cross. 
If our Savior, our King, was willing to submit, we have no other option. And because of his submission, he was crucified, but then he was exalted. We ought to place our trust in God. The path of human seeking and holding onto power will only lead us to ruin. We are called to the way of the cross, of a sacrificial life that does not seek power for itself. For if we have power and control and we hold it with a firm hand, it will bring ruin. But if we hold it with an open hand to our king, then he can use it for his kingdom. The best place to give our control is to the one who is love. Jesus' kingship demands total worship and allegiance. My second point is this morning is that Jesus' kingship challenges our allegiances. Matthew 2, 4-6. I'm calling together all the chief priests and the scribes of the people. He inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for it has been written by the prophet, and you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Often in this story, we talk about the Magi and Herod, but I suggest to you that the chief priests, scribes, and the people of Jerusalem play a key role. Matthew shows us that Jerusalem's leaders, the chief priests and the scribes, and the people inside of it were compromised. Can you imagine if you were a Jewish person and you heard the news that a new king of Israel had been born, someone who could overthrow Herod, overthrow the power of Rome, but yet they are frightened and they are afraid. In verse 3, we see when King Herod this heard this, he was frightened and all of Jerusalem with him. The reaction of Jerusalem was one of fear. Even worse is the religious leaders, they collaborate with Herod to tell him where Jesus would be born. They are compromised. Their allegiance is the complete opposite of what it should be. They know who Herod is. And I can't speak for all the reasons that they are helping Herod. But we know from history that there are close associations by the religious class of leaders in the time of Herod. The Qumran community, the Qumran community, they were responsible for the Dead Sea Scrolls. They considered the temple so corrupt, the leaders so corrupt that they would not even worship there. See, the Jewish leaders, they were tied hand and foot. They had become entwined with Herod. And the people of Jerusalem just stood idly by. And let me be clear, the Magi may not have known about Herod's treachery, but the religious leaders did. They are aware that Herod had two of his sons strangled to death, that he killed his mother and father-in-law. Herod was a man who killed people when he felt threatened. And the religious leaders knew this. Jesus' kingship challenges Israel's allegiance, and it should challenge ours. Jerusalem's response to Jesus' kingship announcement demonstrated their compromise. The religious leaders played political games with Herod. And let me suggest this morning that Jesus' kingship challenges our allegiances to people, to leaders, and to politics. I've been increased increasingly burdened for the church, the evangelical church over the last 10 years. I begin to see compromise. I've seen pastors unwilling to recognize sin that is so prevalent, and I worry about our gospel witness because of it. We must be willing to recognize sin in ourselves, 
in the parties we vote for, in the church we go to, in the Christian leaders that we support. We must never be allied so much to a leader, whether it's a pastor, a political party, whatever it is, that we are unwilling to speak the truth when there is clear sin and corruption in love. We must be faithful witnesses. We must remember who is on the throne. Jesus is our king. And he is the only one we must be in total allegiance to. The kingdom of God will not come by our political parties or by our allegiances. It will be advanced by the proclamation of the gospel of us laying down our lives. With our politics, with our leaders, we must be careful that we choose from a right heart instead of a place of comfortability comfortability and familiarity. The cross must be the center of our lives, that we follow a crucified Messiah. We are called to be this kind of people. Scripture says that the cross is an offense to the Jews and a stumbling block to the Gentiles. Think of the church in China, the daily persecution they face by their government over many years. And there are millions of them with no political power control. And yet the gospel spreads by their sacrifice, by their prayer, by them laying down their lives. This is what we are called to do. We are not called to ultimately bring the kingdom by our politics or trying to win the culture wars, or trying to turn the levers of political power, or through us protesting. It is through the way of the cross, the way of the crucified Messiah, that we are called to bring his kingdom. And let me be clear, I do not want to discourage anyone here from voting or being involved in politics. I do believe God uses politics. I think of men as William Wilberforce, who was used mightily by God. What our politics must embody our king. If our love of Christ is not observable in our political engagement, I believe we are on a dangerous path of ruin and death. Involvement is not wrong, and I want to encourage you to be involved, but that we must look like Jesus when we are doing it. We must be allied to Christ. We must be willing to recognize our own sin and our brokenness. William Wilberforce, when his act of abolishing slavery was something born out of love and concern, for those whose society saw as lesser. He saw the sin in politics and how it was oppressing others. If our politics were focused on the love that Jesus shows to the broken, on the dispossessed, on the widow, on the immigrant, the disabled, indigenous peoples, rather than control and power, what would this look like? What would the cross look like as a politic? Speaking truth and love, helping the broken, helping the oppressed. For were not we the broken? Were we not the dispossessed? Those held under the captive weight of sin and death? Our politics must look like the work of Christ. Do we look like the king? Are we aware our king is a crucified king and a risen king? We need to check our allegiances Do we care more about comfort, security, than the message of the gospel? Do we care more about economic security rather than witnessing to Jesus our King? There could be a host of things this morning that hinder our witness. I remember one time that I was compromised. I did something because I was concerned about my economic security. See, I'd started a new job. I was in construction 
And I remember starting this new job, and it was actually with a whole bunch of Christians. There was about 10 of us guys. And the supervisor on the site was extremely racist. And not one of us Christians said anything, even though we all were Christians, including the supervisor. See, I was scared. I just started working this job. I didn't want to lose it. I just knew on the site. But yet I allow a man who claims the name of Christ to spew hatred. I compromised what was right for the sake of economic security. I'm sure probably most of you wouldn't blame me. You might say, what difference would I make? And maybe it's true. Maybe if I brought it up, I would have got fired. Maybe I would have lost my job as I wasn't very valuable. I was new to the work. But that does not make my silence acceptable. I valued my own security over what was right instead of calling sin, sin in the presence of my Christian brothers. And that I am ashamed for. I, like Jerusalem, was compromised. My witness, my allegiance was compromised because I held economic security over saying what was right in the presence of people who called themselves Christians. Jesus' kingship demands our worship and allegiance. Matthew 2, 7 to 12. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word so that I may go and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out, and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with his merry mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then opening their chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. In Matthew chapter 2 here, we're presented with the wise men. Now, I enjoy reading the, the NRSV, but wise men here is not the best translation. In the Greek and other translations, it says magi. And the Greek word here is actually magus. And this is the word where we get the words magician or sorcerer from. If you remember in Acts, there was someone called Simon the sorcerer. Simon was a magus in the Greek. And to be a magus was not a positive thing. In the book of Daniel, in the Greek translation, those who were opposed to Daniel and his friends were magus as well. They were magi. They were magicians. So in the first century, when Jewish people saw magi, they didn't see them as something good. They saw them as the enemy, people who practiced astrology. Astrology was outlawed and taboo and wrong in the Old Testament. And these men were from the east. They were likely either from Babylon or Persia, places that had destroyed Israel. These men were not men to be trusted or trifled with. They served another king. And so while they wouldn't be attacked because of the power behind them and the riches, Jewish people would not like them. They would have been looked down upon. So imagine with me the most unbelievable scene. Men of power, men of prestige who serve another king, who practice astrology, come to pour out lavish worship on another king in a place they aren't welcome. And this king, King Jesus, he's not in the capital city of Jerusalem. Rather, he's in the lowly town of Bethlehem and most likely in a poor, small house. And they come to worship this king who is just a baby. And yet these magi, they pour out these lavish gifts for a king. The wording of the Greek here in this passage seems to indicate that this type of worship that they're giving 
is not just worship for a king, but a king who had deity, a king who was almost like a godlike figure. If we were Israelites reading this in the first century, this would be turning everything on its head. It should be the Jews who are going to worship Jesus. It should be the Jews who should have the allegiance. It should be them seeking him out. But instead, here we see God revealing himself to Magi, men of power. And yet these men of power lay their pride and pretense aside and worship Jesus a baby. Can you imagine maybe 10, 20 men? I don't know what it is. The scripture doesn't tell us. These men of power going into a small house and going to worship Jesus, a baby, this would have been totally shattering for all the ways that people thought. These magi were fine laying their power aside. They were fine being humble, not willing to control, but willing to worship God in the most humble of settings. They weren't holding on to their positions of power. They didn't care what people thought. They came and they prostrated. They laid themselves down before Jesus. They understood what it meant for Jesus to be king. Jesus' kingship demands our worship and allegiance. And I'm not sure how the king of Persia would have responded to them, the magic saying, we need to go worship this other king. But they still went. And it was costly worship of frankincense, gold, and myrrh. These wise men were humble. They did something that was costly. And they were perhaps willing to face scorn from others. Would we humble ourselves to give up our power, our allegiances, and worship Jesus? Maybe it looks like entering a small house, serving someone, loving someone. This morning, I hope you can grasp the gospel message. And the gospel message is this, this, this morning, that Jesus is king, and his kingship demands our worship and our allegiance. This morning, I hope we do not love influence and control, instead that we love the way of our king. I invite you to lay down your control, your power and your influence, and worship the crucified king. And him is the only place of true safety and insurance. This morning, have you compromised? Have you given your allergies to certain things, raising them higher than Jesus? Maybe it's certain leaders, certain pastors, economic security, cultures, cultural security. Do we look like people of the cross? I would say that Jesus' kingship requires that you ultimately must be allied to him over all these things. It doesn't mean that we don't care about these things, but that our witness is never compromised and that people see Christ in us when we engage This morning, the gospel proclamation is that he is king. In the world of the first century, the gospel means something a little different than we think it means. See, in the word, gospel means eongelion in the Greek. And the eongelion, or what we call the gospel, is something that would be proclaimed in the public square. And often the eongelion, or the gospel, would be a proclamation that someone has been made king, or that someone has won a battle. At this time, there was a gospel going around of Caesar Augustus being made Caesar. In the first century, the proclamation of the gospel at its core is that Jesus is king and there is no other. The gospel has primarily to do with the exaltation and the glorification of our King Jesus because of his submittedness to the Father. All things flow from this pronouncement. Jesus 
is enthroned in majesty and he reigns with all power and authority. He is our king and he has won the battle. He has destroyed the power of sin and death. The gospel at its core is that he is king and won the victory. All the letters of Paul witness to the fact. In the openings of Paul's letter, he always mentions Jesus Christ. Christ is not the last name of Jesus, but rather it is a title, meaning anointed one, Messiah. It's a royal title connected with his kingship. The gospel is primarily about our king and secondarily about us. We must hold Jesus high as the exalted one. This morning, the gospel message is Jesus is king. His kingship demands total worship, total allegiance. Maybe this morning you feel like the Magi. Maybe you're not all that liked by the people around you. It doesn't matter. God is calling you to worship. Maybe you, like the Magi, have some form of power, whether that's in a family, in an organization. God is calling you to lay it down at his feet, to be willing to submit to him. Jesus is king and there is no other and there never will be for he reigns from age to age. He alone sits enthroned on the praises of people. He alone dwells in inapproachable light. He alone is the Alpha and the Omega, the Logos, the pre-incarnate Lord, the Lamb of God, who was slain before the foundations of the world. This is our gospel that our King Jesus reigns. The invitation this morning is how will you respond to the serious claim of kingship? Will you surrender your life, all that you have, to follow and worship him? If you feel the pulling of the Holy Spirit and you have recognized that you have not worshipped Jesus as king as you should, Jesus is a loving king who waits for us to follow him, to recognize him as king, to surrender to him. The king of the universe desires us. He desires you. I invite you to pray this prayer if you've never made a decision to follow the king. King Jesus, I know I haven't followed you as I should. I've gone after other things that are yours. I've held on to power and control. I lay down my power and recognize it is yours alone. Jesus, I haven't followed you. I haven't put my trust and allegiance in other things. Help me to trust and follow you with everything I have. Help me to know you as the only true king and to worship you. Amen. If you've never recognized or followed Jesus as king before and you prayed this prayer, I want to encourage you to text LIFE to 587-323-1199. We want to reply to you with next steps to following Jesus. Again, text LIFE to 587-323-1199. Let us pray as we close. Jesus, you are king, and there is no other. You reign alone at the right hand of the Father, exalted and glorified. Help us to worship you as we ought. Help us to be humble, to be empowered by your spirit for the work of the kingdom, not for the sake of us, but for the sake of you. You are worthy of all praise and honor. In the wonderful name of our King Jesus, amen. I just want to bless you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit as you go. And uh, thank you for coming this morning.
Thanks for joining us. If you need anything, don't hesitate to contact us. You can find more information on our website or on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. We'll see you again soon.